0: Good evening. It is five p.m. and you're listening to the Scoop on CFRC 101.9 FM, brought to you by CFRC's News Collective, composed of Alexandra Fernandez, Dinah Jansen, Chancellor Miracle, Christina Lori, Zayden Vergara, Erica Singh, and Mary McKetty. I'm Alexandra Fernandez, and here is your local news rundown. The Kingston Community Credit Union has donated $5,000 to benefit three projects in Kingston that will reduce greenhouse gas emissions in the community in support of the 2023 Kingston Community Climate Action Fund. KCCU has matched the first $5,000 donated at their branch locations and invites everyone to get involved by donating to support important projects proposed by the Frontenac Club Daycare Integration Program, Sustainable Kingston, and Anguanada. KCCU has participated in the KCCAF program since its inception three years ago donating $15,000 to date. Mayor Brian Patterson says this fund is a great example of working together to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and with the support of the community and the generosity of the Kingston Community Credit Union we can make three more ambitious projects possible. Now in its third year, the City of Kingston's Community Climate Action Fund is seeking to raise $1,112,308 to support three community climate action projects. 100% of all funds raised will go directly to these Kingston charities and tax receipts will be distributed for donations of $20 and over you can go to kccu.ca for more information and visit any branch to donate you can also go online through canada helps and the city hall payment center the kccaf campaign runs through march 31st the projects that are looking for support include the frontenac club daycare integration program which has a fundraising goal of 59,510 dollars. the frontenac club daycare is seeking support to build retrofits to create 22 new licensed daycare spaces in kingston and wheelchair accessible preschool and infant rooms. These building retrofits include the installation of two new heat pump systems in both the coach house and infant house, while a spray foam sim- insulation, improving energy efficiency and reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Anguanada has a fundraising goal of $19,600 to purchase an electric wheelchair transport bike that can be used to take the residents of Onguanada on outdoor excursions in Kingston to maintain their mental and physical health. The electric bike will provide residents with the necessary support while enjoying the outdoors and staying active. These bikes would reduce Anguanada's contribution to greenhouse gases by taking residents out for excursions in an electric-powered bike instead of a fossil fuel-burning van. And Sustainable Kingston is a fundraising goal of 33000 to purchase an electrical vehicle that will replace gas-powered vehicle use. The residential energy auditors will use this vehicle when they perform home energy audits across Kingston, reducing greenhouse gas emissions, as well as promoting energy conservation. Again, for more information, you can go to kccu.ca. If you're a musician, a frequent concert goer, if you're passionate about music, the city of Kingston wants to hear from you. The city is partnering with Norda City, a consulting firm with expertise in arts and culture strategic planning, and is developing an artist-centered music strategy. The creation of the Kingston music strategy was recommended as part of the broader creative industry strategy that names music as a key subsector for investment and growth. Danica Lockhead, manager of arts and culture, says can- K- Kingston is a city with an incredible community of musicians, bands, and talents with a thriving live music scene backed by a unique music legacy and identity. The Kingston music strategy will build on the success of the local music scene while also recognizing the impact of the pandemic to determine how the city and its partners can work together to strengthen our local economy and to support musicians, businesses, and industries better to fully realize a shared vision of Kingston as a music city. To inform the development of a Kingston music strategy, the city and City are gathering resident feedback and ideas through a multi-phase community engagement plan that includes two, upcoming opportunities for public input. There is a survey that is available until March 1st. You can share your thoughts, experiences, and visions for Kingston's musical future by taking part in this brief survey. The survey questionnaire will be a key method to collect both qualitative data on music's contribution to the social and cultural fabric of Kingston as well as fill gaps in quantitative data for an economic impact assessment. Responses are anonymous and the survey is open until March 1st, 2023. For an alternate format of the survey please call 905 5 Or email ccross at nordicity.com. There is also an open house happening at the Broom Factory located at 305 Rideau Street on Thursday, February 16th from 5.30 to 8 p.m. This free evening event will provide an opportunity for attendees to learn about the Kingston Music Strategy objectives, have a snapshot of the findings today, and discuss the project directly with members of the project team, including the City of Kingston and Nordicity. City. No registration is required, and again, this event is on Thursday, February 16th from 5.30 to 8 p.m. at the Broom Factory at 305 Rideau Street. This multi phase community engagement plan also includes roundtable discussions and interviews with local musicians and music professionals. The final Kingston music strategy is scheduled to be completed in June 2023 when it will be presented to City Council for approval and endorsement. You can learn more by going to cityofkingston.ca. In a recent press release, Building Kingston's Future is calling out Kingston City Council for what the group deems as secret decision-making about two highly controversial files, the tannery development and the 16-storey proposal for Barrie and Queen Streets going to Ontario Land Tribunal case management conferences this month. In a three-page letter submitted to the mayor and city council yesterday, Building Kingston's Future, an incorporated not-for-profit that previously successfully stopped an inappropriate development in downtown Kingston, referenced the new published Open Meetings Guide from. an municipalities prepared by the Ombudsman of Ontario. The letter points out that the city's past practice of settling planning appeals behind closed doors is not acceptable. The Coalition of Kingston Communities has raised the secrecy problem with the city in its report cards and in presentation. The city knows that this is an important accountability issue. The new open meetings guide confirms that the city needs to stop settling planning appeals in secret, says board member Vicky Schmolke. The letter calls on Kingston City Council to bring a settlement with a developer who has appealed to the tribunal into a public session of council for councillors to debate and vote on before it is signed by the mayor and clerk on behalf of the city. The law is very clear. Council has complete discretion to decide when it makes deals with developers in secret and when it does so in public, says David Donnelly, a lawyer who successfully represented building Kingston's future on an appeal to the tribunal. He continues to say that Kingston Council needs to stop doing business behind closed doors and start listening to residents. It would erode public confidence in city government if the council decided on a settlement in secret on those highly controversial files. Thousands of people signed petitions and hundreds wrote to the city with their concerns about these proposed developments, says Schmolka. Residents have a right to expect the city to follow best practices and not conduct city business hiding behind closed doors. One of the issues with this is the tannery development, and I had the opportunity to sit down with Carrie Hill, director of No Clear Cuts Kingston, to talk about the tannery development and what it means for Kingston. For the full interview, visit podcast.cfrc.ca and you can learn more about what the tannery development will lead for Kingston, how will it affect not only us but also the wildlife that exists and more. Now, let's throw it over
1: to Erica Singh with Campus Corner. Hello and welcome to Campus Corner. My name is Erica Singh and here are your campus news headlines for today last week the executive candidates for the queen's sgps went heads ahead in a debate to discuss their platforms the candidates included emilis mattis who is running to be re-elected to the graduate student senator position devin fowley for the presidential position jordan belson and stacy coombs who are vying for the vice president of the graduate affairs position gabriella fachetti and matthew kushik who are running for the Vice President of Finances and Services position, and Maya Cavalli and Elizabeth Frangos, who are both running for a VP Professional. Unfortunately, Tony Hu, the sole candidate for Vice President of Campaigns and Community Affairs, was unable to attend the debate. The candidates answered questions on various issues affecting graduate students, including inflation, livable wages, and events. In his opening statement, Mattis stressed the needs for the university to address inflation issues and provide adequate funding to attract future students. Fiketti mentioned her goal of advocating for better mental health funding and expanding awareness of the available services. Kushik spoke about his plans to expand on the financial assistance already offered to students. Balson indicated her interest in moving to not reappoint the principal if he continues to fail to meet the needs of graduate students. Fowley spoke about taking a more targeted approach to allocate resources for graduate students in the event of a tuition increase. Cavalli then addressed the challenges faced by professional students in forming community and hoped to address this by having more events for all graduate students. Frangos then mentioned the need for offering more events to SGPS students and providing digital participatory options for those who can't attend live meetings. Next, Queen's University and the Kingston community recently celebrated the opening of Black Histories and Futures Month. The event recognizes and celebrates past experiences and accomplishments of Black people while also promoting equity, diversity and inclusiveness. The event featured panel sessions focusing on themes of recognition, justice, and development and a moderated discussion between local Black youth leaders. A performance by poet, writer, and dancer Abina Beloved-Green was also part of the celebration. Queen's Human Rights and Equity Officer and other local organizations launched a calendar events and programming for Black Histories and Futures Month, which include opportunities for learning, reflection, and engagement through February and beyond. Queens is committed to promoting anti-racism and supporting black students and community members. The university aligns with the Declaration of Commitment to Address Systematic Racism and its commitment as a signee of the Scarborough Charter. That's all the headlines for today. Now, Zayden Vergara has an interesting interview about an exciting Valentine's Day initiative.
2: I'm now joined by Christina Radkovich and Zoe Dicker from Queens Candygrams. How are you guys doing today?
1: Good, 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 yeah.
2: All right, can you guys tell me a little bit more about the Candygrams? What, what's what's the program
1: that you guys have organized? Well, we are from the Math and Stats Department, Math and Stats GSC, and we are selling Candygrams. And what they are is we've
3: prepared cute packages with chocolates and gummy bears and notebooks and pencils. Um, and if you come to Jeffrey Hall on Friday from 1 to 3 p.m., you can... Personalize a note to someone you love and we will give them a candy gram and deliver it right to their door on Valentine's Day.
1: Yes. And then after that, we will also have a Google Docs form where you can fill it out online and we will still deliver them. And handwrite a note. <laughs> yes.
2: Well, that is amazing. And where, uh, where where did you say you can get them?
1: Uh, Jeffrey Hall on the first floor on Friday, 1 to 3 p.m.
2: Right, wonderful. And what what made you guys uh, choose to get involved and in create something like this?
3: Personally, I love Valentine's Day. It is the best day of the year by far. So just to do something to celebrate that day and um, give candy grams. I used to do it in high school and I love getting them and I love giving them. So to be able to give that to Queens is great.
2: Well, wonderful. Thank you guys so much for your time. I really appreciate it.
1: Yes. Thank you so much. That's all for Campus Corner today. Make sure to order your Candy Grams from 1 to 3 p.m. at Jeffrey Hall on Friday or online. Now over to sports.
2: Good evening, everyone. My name is Zayden Vergara, and it's time for your CFRC Sports Roundup. Last weekend, Queen's University's women's basketball team played the Ottawa Gigi's in the shoot for the Cure game. Both the Gales and the GiGs came to play. The score was close in the first quarter, with Queen's in the lead, until Ottawa managed to tie the score 15-15 in the last couple of minutes. The Gales responded with a strong offensive play. Ottawa was unable to get through the Gales' solid defense, and Queen's led 17-15 going into the second quarter. The second quarter was all uphill for Queen's. The Gales were on a scoring streak, building their lead to 11 points, before a timeout was called by Ottawa. Headed into the second half, Queens led Ottawa 39-22. The Gales kept up their momentum in the third quarter, outscoring the GGs 54-38. Ottawa showed much more on the offensive end of the court in the fourth quarter, but Queens still came out ahead to win the game 59-52. to With the win, the Gales improved their record to 17-1 to solidify their 1st place position in the OUA East Division, followed by Carleton and then Ottawa. Also, the Queens men's volleyball team faced off against the Western Mustangs in their second game of a doubleheader and finished with a 3-1 win, completing the sweep. The first set was a closely contested one, with both teams fighting, gaining the lead, and then losing it to the other. But Western came out on top with a score of 25-22. After the set loss, Queens came back very strong and managed to win the second set 25-21. Feeding off the energy of their win, the Gales continued to outplay Western in the third set, and after great saves and huge kills, the Gales won the third set with a score of 25-20. After the two losses, the Mustangs came back offensively, putting many points on the board during the fourth set. But Queens came back equally as strong and won the final set with a close score of 25-23. to 23. On that note, that's all for your CFRC sports coverage. Now, over to Chris Laurie with a community update.
4: This is Chris coming in with your community update for this week. This week, I sat down with Barb Lowton, the sexual violence prevention and response coordinator at Queens, to talk about the SVPRS team and some of their upcoming initiatives and events. Without further delay, here's what Barb had to say. To get us started, would you like to just introduce yourself?
5: Hi, my name is Barb Lowton. I'm the Sexual Violence Prevention and Response Coordinator in the Human Rights and Equity Office.
4: Awesome. And just to get us started so folks know sort of what we're talking about, what is under the umbrella of sexual violence?
5: Well, I'll backtrack a little bit and just tell you a little bit about the Human Rights Office because it mm-hmm. makes more sense in that context. So mm-hmm. the Human Rights Office is a shared service on campus, so providing supports and services to, to students, staff, and faculty in four core service areas. So there's accessibility services, education and employment equity services, human rights advising, and sexual violence prevention and response. And so sexual violence prevention and response services are largely focused on providing uh, supports and services for any student who who has been impacted by sexual violence. And that can be violence that was experienced at any time in their life. So it's not only about students who may have experienced some form of sexual violence since their arrival at Queen's. But if something has gone wrong for them prior to their arrival at Queen's and it's impacting their ability to be successful here, then we wanna make sure we can put some supports and services in place so that they can be successful socially, emotionally, academically, um, in their employment spheres, maybe as athletes, as student leaders, whatever that might look like for the individual student. So we're really working in our office on a variety of things that are connected, and there's a direct connection between uh, human rights advising and the harassment and discrimination focus that those folks have, and the work that we do in sexual violence prevention response services. So we're doing, um, back to your original question about what, what is under our umbrella, it's about prevention education, Um, information sharing with students about resources, both on campus and in community, understanding what sexual violence is and making the connections to broader societal issues like gender-based violence and all forms of uh, marginalization and oppression, and then helping students find what's going to be useful for them in terms of dealing with their own experiences of violence and how they've identified those and how it's impacting them.
4: SVPRS, of course, you're doing a large variety of things. You're working towards certain policy changes. You provide direct support and services. Just to give folks a more specific idea of what you guys do on a day-to-day, what sorts of support and services does SVPRS offer?
5: Um, currently, there's myself as a coordinator. There's Rebecca Rappaport. She is the Sexual Violence Prevention Response Community Outreach and Student Support Worker. Longest title on campus, I think. And then Nalani Loganathan, who is a human rights advisor, also provides some um, support to students. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rebecca's off doing um, partnership building and collaboration with clubs and groups and departments on campus around um, the educational pieces and the outreach. Mm -hmm. And then I'm doing... Um, some policy work, some committee work, some consulting work in community and on campus. And then I'm doing the bulk of the student support and Rebecca's doing a bit of it and Nalani's doing a bit of it as well. In terms of so student support, we're not counselors. So we're not providing therapeutic interventions, but our our role is to help students figure out what they want and what they need and then Mm -hmm. to help them get there. So some people call us systems navigators, and that's partially accurate. Uh, We do some advocacy work. So I might meet with a student to figure out what has gone wrong for them in terms of their studies or other things that they're engaged in, and then figure out what do they need. Do they need academic considerations and extenuating circumstances? Do they need accommodations and need to be connected with QSAS? Are they looking for a connection with counseling services or with health services? Do they need to understand the complaint process under the sexual violence policy? Or do they need a bit of information or want a bit of information about a criminal legal process and a complaint to police? There's all kinds of things that we talk about We talk about practical things in terms of safe housing and safety planning. We talk about food insecurity. We also talk about the social uh, consequences of what has gone on, because we know that often the person who perpetrates the harm is a member of a friend group. And so Mm -hmm. we talk about all of the things that the student wants to talk about. Mm -hmm. Uh, Students can meet with us. As many times as they want to. There's no limit on it. They can ask all their questions. They can go away and think about things. They can come back and ask more questions. Uh, we can support them to do their paperwork. We, we write lots of letters of support for the academic considerations and perhaps for petitions to late drop a class. We assist with um, getting tuition refunds if somebody has to withdraw There's all kinds of things that we can do. Now we're not magical unicorns and we can't fix everything, but we can help. And when we see that there may be some sort of barrier, uh, we can also advocate for some change, um, either within, you know, one of the the main policies or another policy that we see that's not quite working for the students we work with. I think Mm -hmm. it's important for students to know that we don't always need to know the intimate details of what has gone wrong for them, or the harm they've experienced. We do need to know if we're helping them to file a complaint, but we don't need to know all their intimate details, and so sometimes students are afraid that we're going to start asking a lot of questions about the incident itself, and we don't need to do that. We really only need to to know enough to understand how we can be helpful and to help move them forward. And I guess the other thing that's really important for students to know is that talking with us does not automatically trigger any complaint process. That's all very much consent driven. So if a student wants to access all the supports and services and wants referrals to counseling and other things, we can do all of that. And there doesn't have to be a complaint. That's absolutely okay.
4: Okay, yeah. Well, thank you for that um, very detailed explanation of some of your services and a lot of your um, the way you go about things. That's really helpful for our listeners. Just taking a bit of a turn, you guys also offer lots of workshops and events for folks who want to learn more about this. One of the workshops I was really curious about was the bystander intervention training. I was wondering if you could speak a bit about what that's all about.
5: Sure. So bystander intervention training is fantastic. It was started on Queen's campus before my arrival here. So -hmm. there's been a bit of an evolution in the workshops that that we offer. Bystander intervention training is really about um, offering students an opportunity to consider places where they can step in when they see something going wrong, if it's safe to do it. And that's one of the the key messages is we always want people to do things safely, Mm -hmm. safe for themselves and safe for other people. Um, But how can we, as good citizens, intervene in situations when we can identify that there is a problem. And this is broader than intervening in sexual violence situations. It's really about intervening. I mean, we focus on the sexual violence conversation, but the conversation could really be applied to any sorts of things that we see going wrong in our communities. So this is about um, teaching folks about recognizing when something's going wrong Labeling it for what it is, is the sexual violence and what is it? Is it sexual harassment? Is it something that's going to escalate to a physical assault? So it's identifying the problem, naming it properly, and then identifying that you can intervene, or that perhaps you should intervene, and taking some responsibility for um, making a positive contribution, either in that moment, or perhaps later on, and then talking about the ways you can do that. And so that whole conversation is about how can we um, help one another when it's safe and in what ways should we and could we do that? There's also a real consideration in that conversation about how people will choose different ways to intervene based on who they are and what their own personal identity is and what that means for them in the ways um, that they're experiencing the world. So I might intervene in a way that is different than um, one of my colleagues, because we have different skills and abilities, different life interests, different identities, and we're we're more or less comfortable. So it's really about all of that. Mm -hmm. That program's been running on campus, I want to say since 2015, but it might've been 2014, I'm not really sure, um, and was um, part of the programming that was offered through the Student Experience Office from Student Affairs. What's what's a really nice evolution is in the last couple of years, uh, the SVPRS office with human rights has partnered with the student experience office to expand the workshop offerings and to include um, three more standard workshops that students can um, sign up to take. And those, those are really great too and they complement the content of one another really nicely. So we offer one on um, healthy relationships building consent culture and how to respond to a disclosure. So if a student tells another student they've had an experience, then how can how can that student support their, their friend or their housemate or a coworker or co-volunteer, whatever that might be. And those workshops are offered from September to March, end of March-ish. There's open sessions that students can just sign up for and attend. And then there are some workshops that we offer by request. So for example, there might be a class where the instructor wants uh, their students to take some of that as part of the um, curriculum, or there may be a club or another group on campus that asks to have that training for their club membership. There's lots of ways that plays out.
4: Awesome. Yeah, lots of amazing workshops there and a lot of opportunities to learn how you can safely make a difference. Um, also coming up, I want to talk a bit about the Red Flag campaign, just because that's uh, starting up right at the end of this week. So I was wondering if you could speak a bit to what uh, the Red Flag campaign is about.
5: Yeah, Red Flag's a fantastic campaign. It's um, less interactive than like a workshop campaign, mm-hmm. but it um, it's really meant to draw attention to healthy and unhealthy relationships. So it's really talking about intimate partner relationships, although some of the content could be translated to friendship relationships as well. But the real focus is on those intimate relationships or dating relationships, and talking about what's healthy and not healthy, um, and really trying to focus there. That campaign's been running on campus for a number of years as well, and it's really solid. Um, it It will have a social media presence, and then there's some tabling that's happening on Valentine's Day. Um, some students will call it in the ARC. It's actually in the Queen Center. So out in that open area between the pharmacy and booster juice Mm -hmm. in there somewhere, there'll be some tables and some students from health promotion. Uh, We're partnering with health promotion and the peer health educators to um, get some information into the hands of students and get students talking about and thinking about their own relationships and what feels right for them and and maybe to identify again about identifying those things that aren't okay and then figuring out how to deal with them.
4: And just to finish up, uh, where can folks find more information about your team and get in touch?
5: Yeah. So um, there's a website that I'm responsible for and it's queensu.ca slash sexual violence support. If you query sexual violence support Queens, you're going to find it. Um, If students want to talk to an advisor, they just need to email me Super easy and just say, hi, Barb, I'd like to chat with someone. They don't need to include any more information than that in the email. And you can find my email on the homepage uh, towards the bottom of the the first page of that website. There's also a number of other pages on how to get help right away. If you've experienced violence, how to give help if you're a support person for someone else. There's an events page which talks about those upcoming events, including... Red Flag, the workshop with Jungle Flower on Thursday night of this week. There's still room to register for that one. And Movies for Mental Health, which is also taking place in February, which is fantastic. There's also an education page where students can find the dates for the um, gender-based violence and bystander intervention workshops and sign up for those. And then we mix it up a little bit now and again and just add a few other things and for folks who are listening who may be members of an employee group, staff or faculty, there is a page there for them as well with some additional information and access to information that might be useful um, as they interact with students who may have experienced violence.
4: Once again, that was Barb Lowton discussing sexual violence prevention and response services here at Queen's. That's all for your community update this week. And now I'm passing it off to Mary with the weather.
6: Thanks so much. I'm Mary McKetty, and this is your CFRC weather report. Our Wednesday morning will begin with cloudy conditions and a 30% chance of flurries. Winds will be out of the southwest at 20 kilometers per hour. By the afternoon, we will reach a high of plus 4 and transition to a mix of sun and cloud. A few clouds will stick around with fog patches Wednesday evening as temperatures drop to a low of minus 4 with a wind chill of minus 10 overnight. Winds will be up to 15 kilometers per hour. Thursday morning will remain cloudy as foggy patches dissipate. There is a risk of freezing rain in the late morning and early afternoon with 10-20mm to of rain expected overall. We will reach a high of plus 5 this afternoon and winds will be out of the south at 30 km per hour, gusting to 50 km per hour. Thursday night calls for periods of rain and a low of zero. Now over to Alex with our traffic report.
0: Thank you so much. I'm Alexandra Fernandez, and here is your weekly traffic report brought to you by the City of Kingston. Albert Street from Princess to 516 Albert will be closed on Thursday, February 9th at 7 a.m. until Friday, February 10th at 5 p.m. Lower Brewer Swing Bridge is closed until further notice. Macdonell Street from Johnson to Earl will be closed until the end of today for new service connections. Market Street from Ontario to King will be closed until Saturday, February 11th at 5pm, and University Avenue from Union to Earl will be closed until April 31st at 7pm, and the Right Crescent from the south intersection of Palace to 16 Palace will be closed until October 31st, 2023. The School Streets Initiative is in place from 8.40 a.m. to 9.10 a.m. and 3.20 p.m. to 3.50 p.m. on weekdays, meaning that these streets are closed during those times. Macdonnell Street from Earl to Hill and Sydenham Street from Ordnance to Colburn. The Play Street Initiative is also in place. Thomas Street from Cowdy to Patrick is closed 3.30 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. on Mondays until August 28th. Some other delays that you can expect, Highway 33 east of Collins Creek Bridge to west of Coronation Boulevard, there will be some delays due to construction. Construction barrels and flag people will direct traffic around the work zone. Jackson Mills Road from McIver to Burbrook, you can expect delays from Monday, February 6th all the way until Friday, February 10th. And Jackson Mills Road near the Canpe Trail is reduced to one lane for roadside safety improvements, but does remain open in both directions. King Street from Princess to Queen, you can expect a sidewalk closure until February 28th. The Portsmouth Waterfront Pathway has closed access to the pathway at the foot of Mowat Avenue and Young, as well as east of Lake Watch Lane. And Queen Street from King to Ontario, you can expect a sidewalk closure as well until February 28th. That's your weekly traffic report, and now let's throw it over to Mary McKetty for our events calendar of the week.
3: Thank you so much. This is your events calendar for the week. From now until February 17th, the powerful This is Evidence exhibit will be running at the Isabel Bader Center for the the Performing Arts, located at 390 King Street West. This is a multimedia photo voice exhibit created by Dr. Rina Kukreja to focus on the relationship between undocumented South Asian immigrants and members of the Greek population, touching on themes such as xenophobia and masculinity. This exhibit is free to attend and runs from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday to Friday. More information is available at queensu.ca slash This Thursday, mark your calendars for Majors Night, happening from 4 to 7 p.m. in the Biosciences Complex, located at 116 Barry Street. This event is aimed at first-year students deciding on their degree plans for next year, but everyone is welcome to receive guidance and advice from departmental staff, faculty, and upper-year students in various arts and science programs. Also on Thursday, the Kings of Queens band will be jamming it out live once again at the mansion, located at 506 Princess Street. Made up of five Queen students, this band is sure to keep you entertained by performing some of Kingston's best indie rock music. Tickets are $10 at the door, so make sure to be there Friday 9pm. More information can be found at Instagram.com kingsofqueens Kings of Queens, and that's Kings, the number zero, followed by an F, Queens, with no capital letters, spaces, or punctuation in their username. Coming up on Friday, the Queen's Conference on Indigenous Reconciliation will be hosting their opening gallery for their first in-person conference since 2019. This year's conference is titled Sustainable Pathways to Reconciliation and focuses on the longevity, durability, and resilience related to sustainable acts of reconciliation. With the purchase of an in-person ticket priced at $8 to attend only conference panels and workshops, you have the option to attend the opening gallery for an additional $2. The opening gallery will be hosted at the Malting Tower at the Tet Centre, located at 370 King Street West. Additional information about the conference itself can be found at queensreconciliation.com. I'm Mary McKetty, and those are all the events that we're highlighting for the week. Thank you so much for tuning in to CFRC's news programming. If you ever have a news story or tip to share, please reach out to news at cfrc.ca. Stay tuned for more programming coming up next.